1-855-454-3221. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. Okay, well, first off, uh, this is a lot of fun. So let's go over to the, uh, let's go over to E for engagement. And um, Steve and I... Today's video is brought to you by the letter E. It's for engagement. It's coming up to Valentine's Day. So listen, I was thinking about marriage engagements. I thought it was the busiest time of the year, but it turns out December is the big engaging time. Listen, we all know engagement with customers is about lifetime value. Well, listen, there's a similarity and a parallel between a marriage engagement and a customer engagement. Is there not? We all know that if, you know, if you did that, hey, would you like to marry me with a text? probably not going to get great response. If you've got only digital ways of thanking and reaching out and engaging your customers, you may be missing something. Did you hear this? This is brilliant. This is beyond brilliant. Steve, oh, amazing. Yesterday, well, you know, I wasn't so hot on it. But today, unbelievable. That metaphor in the mind, the imagery. If you ask someone to marry you on a text message, if they have any brains, if they're one of my daughters, I tell them to go tell them to go take a flying leap. Where's my style consultant? If someone asks you to marry him on a text message, you know, unless maybe it's a text message while the helicopter is landing to take you to his yacht. Otherwise, no. No engagement in digital. Oh, Brilliant, Steve. Brilliant. Let's go on. You may be missing some of the most valuable ways to do it. So add something physical. Think of these crazy, what do they call them, Chris? Prom? Proposals. Promposals. That's Chris. And Chris actually doesn't really a big believer in Valentine's Day. He just thinks the love should go all year long. And you know what? I get that too. And if you take a little dose of that into your organization, engagement with your customers. Take this for example. I've used it before. It's a company called Love Pop. Is this not an amazing card, the way it pops up. This is Valentine's Day on steroids. Love pop. I love it. Physical ways of expressing your gratitude and engaging, well, someone you love. Not just physical, but three-dimensional. Also better than 2D. Like maybe your customers. Give it a try for great growth. How about that? Okay, was that great or what? And, and it leads to my point, which is even the worst direct mail has 100% engagement by the metrics that you used for Google, right? Bounce on digital is 50%. That's the people that click. That's the people who click through. 50% of them don't click one link on your site. And if it's a landing page, 80% don't click. They immediately leave, okay? So... Engagement with print is at least physical. You have to make a decision. You have to look at it. Okay, so that's way to go, Steve. Steve and I exchanged some messages. We're going to have Steve on one of these days, and I think he's going to steal the show, frankly, so I'm a little reluctant. But, hey, that's what it's all about. Okay, let's get over to the PDFs now. Uh, online holidays, holiday returns increase 41% year over year. Who saw that coming? <laughs> of course I did because I got my wife a flannel nighty from Vermont Country Store and she just didn't like it. Didn't fit right or something. I don't know. I got to do that return. But most of it was because I don't know what size to get. 
that's doubly true in my cases. I have no idea. And what am I doing buying? <laughs> I don't know. But I, I bought her one 38 years ago or something on our first uh, Christmas because I thought she might be cold. <laughs> and a little hat that went with it. <laughs> I don't think they sell the hats anymore. So anyway, people say they have a lot of it is because a lot of it is because people are uh, I, I didn't know this term bracketing bracket an increase in bracketing. That means I buy maybe a size above, maybe a size below what I think and figure out which of the three works. So if you have the money and if they're free returns, you know, if they pay for return shipping, here's a great example where customers can take advantage of you just because you're trying to be nice. But here's something to think about. So this would be three good points today. If you treat your returners too well, you're actually penalizing the customers who are trying to be honest, good customers. I knew a guy who would buy shirts from Land's End, wear them for a couple of years till they wore out, then send them back and get new ones. Okay, your 100% guarantee program—that's an—that's an abuse. And I know it's maybe it's not as bad as it could be, but I—I've worked for a few apparel companies, and there are people who clearly abuse that privilege. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. What we did was more interesting. We modeled it. We modeled the customers that were really good at returning, and we quit mailing them. Now, they could still order from us. You know, we didn't stop them. But we gave them, we at least didn't encourage them to buy anymore. Okay, there's a, a good thought. That's one of the advantages of mail. You can stop it. Whereas digital, you don't know where it's going. It's really hard to stop. So don't necessarily, I'm not saying you can't allow the ref free returns, free return shipping. But if you can see that customers are abusing it and their net sales ends up below zero, we, we actually model on net profit. So we can see the customers that bought and returned 100%. And we charge them in, in the model. We don't charge them in the real world. But in the model, we charge them a handling fee and a return fee. So that in the model, we can see life to, and this goes through their whole life to date, lifetime value, as Steve mentioned. We can see that they're not worth much, even though they bought a lot. That's the difference between modeling on profitability and modeling on just sales. Returning your real Christmas tree to Costco. <laughs> that would be evil, Ed. Nice to see you, Ed. I was hoping that, uh, that Sam would come on, but. I don't see him commenting anyway. If you're on here, Sam, uh, you should comment, I think. Wouldn't that be great? Anyway, here comes another breakthrough article. This is a breakthrough article by James Hankins. This, I am so shocked at how good this article is, I can't even tell you. Okay, forget funnels. Here's a new model for the path to purchase. Marketing funnels have had a bit of time in the sun. Mark Ritson believes they're the cornerstone of every marketing strategy. You know how much I like Mark Ritson. But their importance is in prioritization as opposed to literal application. So there's no exact, you know, you go from, oh, awareness. They, you know, they find out about your product and they look into it a little bit and they engage a little bit and they compare with other 
products that could be could fill a similar need. Mark's really clear on that. It's not necessarily what you think is a competitor. It's like, okay, I'm thirsty. I could have a Gatorade. I could have a glass of milk. I could have a uh, I could have a popsicle, right? You might not think of a popsicle and a glass of milk as competitors, but if you're thirsty, both would do. I don't particularly think either of them would be that great. You know, I might like a scotch. <laughs> that might not be that good either. So what your competitor, you know, thinks of you or you think of your competitor isn't necessarily how the consumer thinks of it. And that's what makes this thing so messy. And Google published uh, a, a paper called The Messy Middle. And what they told us was it's complicated, that there is no clear path down the funnel. It's not linear. Okay, now, this is where James gets it and gives us clarity in a way, in a big way. Okay, so he says funnels are useful from a conceptual, but not from a practical application point. But we're trying to help brands make sense of the world. We're trying to explain the process. And when we actually try to map it, it doesn't map from A to B. It's more like the internet, the way data bounces around on different nodes. And that's basically what he comes to. Brilliant. There are no pre-formulated pathways or directions. You need to go to WDMA and register so you get the marked up version of this. Join WDMA. It's cheap compared to any association you've ever been in. Support our work. There's a vast potential number of paths to purchase. So you've got your attention, interest, desire, action. And here's what he does. And we'll put that in a rectangle because I like it so much. Oh, man, look at that. Okay, it's got, well, it doesn't matter what's got. Trigger. Remember how I've said that, you know, it isn't just timing. It isn't, you can't necessarily time when I'm in the market right? And maybe my check engine light comes on. Maybe I get a call and my mother-in-law is moving in and I think, oh man, I need a new house, okay? You don't, you don't predict the trigger. The consumer doesn't predict the trigger. The trigger happens. Now, you could maybe predict when I run out of milk. Thanks, Keith. You could maybe predict when I run out of milk. But the fact is, this is what makes life interesting and difficult as a marketer. That's, this is also why you want to advertise when people are not in the market, right? You want your advertising to be at least somewhat interesting and somewhat invasive for the people that aren't in the market right now because there might be a trigger that sets off their purchase that you don't know when it's going to happen and you can't predict it by prior browser behavior. Got it? You can't. I can't predict it for heaven's sakes. Remember the story of we ask you what you're going to buy going into Walmart? And then a few minutes later, we look in your cart to see if you did. You won't predict yourself. No. That's why brand advertising complements offer advertising. I'll call it that. It's not what Ritson calls it, but that's okay. This is the Hankins hexagon. Oops. Now i got to make it into a rectangle because <laughs> I switched buttons. And it, I don't care if it's tongue-in-cheek. This is great. This is one of the greatest things I've seen in 40 years of marketing. James, I got to tell you, I'm going to send you this thing. I'm going to reach out to you. Okay. The idea is that all these decision 
points are connected, even post-purchase, right? I once read that a, a huge percentage of the car advertising was directed at people who just bought their car and making them feel good about it. Think about that, right? That's long-term thinking for lifetime value. Awesome. Great idea, okay? Anyway, so there's lots of steps. There's lots of ways you can go, and you can go back and forth a couple times, and you go down here. And the point is, is that nobody's path, there might be no two people that have the same path. So the idea of predicting it and spending money on a particular path is insane. Okay, But here's where James even contributes more. Okay, People will find their own path, and there are very few pathways that are fixed. But this model, with this model, you can prioritize where you invest to improve those pathway probabilities. Okay, <clears throat> So you run out of milk, which is a trigger. Okay, And then now you go from a passive state to I need some milk. Okay, Now, not everybody evaluates milk, but yesterday or the other day we were talking about Oatly. I think it was yesterday. And nowadays you can compare. I actually got from my style consultant a page comparing oat milk with almond milk with pea milk. Not pea like, you know, pee your pants. It was... <laughs> anyway, I'm going to get banned. Uh, so, uh, there's a lot to compare in milk, but, as he makes the point, you might go down to the corner shop and they only have one kind of milk. So, you know, and there's 2%, and there's whole milk, which isn't really whole, and 2% is really half, 50% the fat, and skim milk, which still has some in it. Anyway, we're not going to get into milk. There's a lot of choice options in milk, but maybe you go to the convenience store and there's only one. So, that node may not be even available if there's no choice at the point of purchase, then you know, you're out of luck. But go on the internet, there's tons of choice. Okay. The point really is that you can take James's is his uh, hexagon and you can go through your own purchase pattern with any product you bought. So he says now here's where it gets interesting. He says you can turn it into a decision tree. <clears throat> and you can figure up out that the most common pathways take up the core of 68%, which is, oh, by the way, a standard distribution. So now you can spend time on this stuff. You can spend time and see, well, is it the trigger or is it the consideration phase, right? You can, you can, and then you can map it out. Now, the, the fun part for me is, is that this is what we've been doing for 25 years. We've been taking this decision tree and tipping it on its head. Not only that, but we take the customers and we look at the variables in each part of the matrix. It's not exactly the same, but it is a Bayesian, it is a Bayesian structure built with chi-squared analysis. Only we convert it to profitability. So you can see which variables generate the greatest differential profit, which can also reveal new pathways, new decisions being made in new markets. Man, this is awesome. The idea is that it's not just a funnel. It's 
not just a pathway, it's new metrics that rank brands on, a com on comparative node scores. Except we convert the scores to profitability, EBITDA, by score. That's how I could teach Dick Cabela how the thing works. Dick Hunter Fisherman hated computers. His staff all said, don't try to teach Dick Cabela about this node stuff. I said, Dick, if you had one catalog left, this was fishing, one fishing catalog left, would you send it to a blue-collar neighborhood or a upscale, really rich neighborhood? He said, you know, the rich people have a lot of money, but I think the blue-collar would be more likely to spend it on fishing. I said, Dick, that's exactly what the model says. See here, the profitability is two or three times greater in the blue-collar network. He said, that's what fishermen are like. And we went through this model of about 150 nodes, which is really complex. But they mailed about 5 million pieces at a whack. And so, and Dick just kept saying, yep, that's what fishermen are like. We were able to, we were able to map the path and the impact of variables along the path which give us new insights into how we can go deeper into the file, how we can go into new product areas, how we can go into new markets. Oh man, this is unbelievable. Think of pinball. Think about your investments as flippers or bumpers so that people don't just drop through the bottom but can get kicked back up into the matrix that's what the money is. You know, I've always said the money is a, a faucet in the bathtub model, but this is unbelievable. This is the best model I've ever heard for lifetime value customer modeling, customer marketing. This is unbelievable to me. Really, really good. The hexagon leaves all paths open rather than forcing customers into the messy middle. Oh, my goodness. James, this is a Ph.D. paper. And I think Ritson writes the best stuff, and you have topped Ritson. It is so great. Have a nice day. Like and share. Your friends are really going to think you're smart today. Have some coffee. Clarify the world for your clients. Help them make sense of where to put money on the flippers. Bye-bye.